This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Last time I went shopping for motorcycle gloves, the sheer number of models and styles was enough to set my head spinning. And trying to figure out which gloves suit my riding style was all but impossible. Soft leather, vented, gauntlet, armored knuckles, full carbon slides, it all got me to wondering just how effective these features are. Which ones do I need, or do I need any of them? So today we're going to dig down through some marketing hype and try and discover some core facts on motorcycle gloves. Also, Warren, the winch manufacturer, they tell me that they now discontinued the XT17 motorcycle winch that we tested here on Adventure Rider Radio. So what are you going to do now when you get stuck or your bike is flying upside down, how about a good old reliable Z-Drag system? Green Chili Adventure Gear has sent us their Z-Drag system to help haul my bike back up onto its rubber, but when I open the bag, I got a big surprise. Coming up today, my name is Jim Martin, this is Adventure Rider Radio, stay with us, we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Nick Sanders, Terry Borden, Sandy Borden, Jack Borden, Graham Field, Austin Vince, Jason Spafford, Lisa Murray, David Peterson, Rachel, Ed March, Glenn Hickstead, Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, Dave Barr, Michelle Lamphere, Tiffany Coates, Herbert Schmuck, Zoe Cannell, Nathan Millward, Graham Hoskins, Joe Rush, Jeremy Craker, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Simon Pavey, Grant Johnson, Robert Wick, Seth Simon, Elizabeth Martin, Carol DeVell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. <laughs> Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com You know, the last pair of gloves I bought were made by a company called Five. Now, I bought them because they were at my local dealer and they seemed to suit my needs, but also because I have another pair of Five gloves that I I quite like and I've had for quite a while now. Well, this new pair lasted only weeks before they began to fall apart. The stitching literally fell out of them. Now, I wasn't doing anything Herculean with them, just riding, just normal everyday riding. So I contacted the company. They didn't even answer my email. So I I even tried a couple of times, got absolutely no response. I eventually called the dealer and they immediately told me, look, bring them back in, they'll refund my money, which I did. But it got me to thinking, if these gloves fell apart with just normal riding after just a couple of weeks of riding, how could I count on them in a get-off? So I called David.
Now, David Hoff is the author of Proficient Motorcycling and, and other books on motorcycling. He and his wife have traveled extensively on motorcycles. And during his 36 years working at Boeing in Seattle, he was a regular columnist and wrote countless articles for motorcycle magazines. He's a certified motorcycle safety instructor and has taught motorcycle training courses. As well, he's authored the manual for the Motorcycle Safety Foundation's Sidecar and Trike Education Program. He was also inducted into the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame in 2009 in recognition of his lifetime efforts towards motorcycle safety. And we've had the pleasure of having David on the show quite a number of times. Well, today we're talking about motorcycle gloves. David, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Well, let's just start off sort of where we left off last time, talking about gear. And there was, I did get a, an email from someone who, I think they sort of missed the point on what we were talking about, that this protective gear that we're riding with, what we're really trying to say here, and what we're, the points that I think we're trying to make is that these are not uh, suits of armor that are going to protect you through anything. This is sort of um, minimal, really, uh, at best in a lot of cases, crash protection. And does that stand for gloves as well? Well, yeah, and I think and the whole the whole thing about uh, ATGAT protective gear is that that we're dealing with a religion here. And part of the motorcycling religion is that we can buy stuff and put it on and it'll make me safe and I won't have to do anything. You know, and unfortunately... That's not true. So that when we say to somebody, look, these fancy gloves that you just paid $400 for are really not going to protect your wrist from a fracture. It, it's sort of like, whoa, wait a minute. I just paid $400 to protect my hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can expect some pushback from people who, who uh, are continuing to want to believe that somehow or other a miracle can be performed here. So what we're talking about is, is is some level of protection, and what we determined before was we're talking about protection from the elements, and then we're talking about some abrasion resistance. Really, that's about all that gloves can offer. But, you know, I was going to start off by talking about the most important safety gear on the bike, and I think most of us would immediately say, um, except for those states maybe where they don't have a helmet law, but, uh, I think many of us would say helmet is probably your, your most important safety gear. After that, I, like I'm thinking gloves would almost be next, or at least arguably be next, because that's the first thing that comes in contact. If you have any sort of problem, even if you're sitting at your table and you start to fall over, the first thing you do is you put your hand down to stabilize yourself. And that's sort of our reaction in a get-off. Yeah, when, when we do crash, um, with any kind of luck, it'll be a nice low side where we fall off the bike and go sliding. And that being the case, our our brain will automatically stick the arms out to protect the head. And so there are, we're sliding down the road with our arms extended. And so the palms are very important. And um, I, I've often, I've often been startled by people elsewhere in North America who ride with no gloves or with fingerless gloves, you know, and um, okay, it's, it's their pain. But um, I think that what, what's really important for gloves is to have abrasion protection on the palms so when we go out to look for gloves, typically in a motorcycle shop, what we'll find is all this weird um, Terminator-looking armor on the knuckles, you know, which really looks great, except that that's probably not where we're going to slide on. And if you put that armor on your palm, you wouldn't be able to control the bike. So we have to, I think, acknowledge that, that gloves are not going to uh, provide the kind of protection we would hope 
So um, I think one of the things we should look at is the, the material that is used for the glove. So historically, cowhide has been used, but and cowhide is reasonably resistant to abrasion, but it's not very flexible. And so as a glove, you can get some pretty stiff gloves. And again, if the goal is to not have a crash, then you don't want to have something on your body that's distracting you, like you can't, you can't control the throttle and the brake simultaneously because your little, your little glove finger gets in the way, you know. Uh, the way we want is a glove that is very flexible, that fits our hand correctly, um, and then provides whatever other details we need, like insulation and abrasion resistance. So why not just go down to the hardware store and grab a heavy set of leather gloves? Why shop for motorcycle gloves in particular? Well, as a matter of fact, if you go to the hardware store and you're looking for the right things, you might find a glove that would work uh, reasonably well. Um, the caveat here being that the hardware store is not going to stock gloves that are made out of really, really good uh, material. And secondarily, the, the sewing and the stitching is going to be done by, you know, the cheapest contractor. So um, one of the things that I look for is the material itself. And years ago when I was visiting Langlet's Leathers in Portland to buy some stuff, I said, what kind of gloves have you got? And Dave looked at me kind of funny and smirked, and he pulls out this box from under the counter. There's a cardboard box about three feet <laughs> cubically, right, <laughs> full of gloves. There are no labels. There are no sizes. There, you reach in there, you stir around, and you come up with a glove, and you say, okay, let's see, that's a left. So you look in there and see if you can find a right that's about the same size and color, and, you know, and eventually you come up with a pair of gloves. Well, those turned out to be very nice gloves. I believe they were made out of, out of uh, goat skin. And goat skin turns out to be a very good material for what we want to use as motorcyclists. Uh, goat skin is very, very tough. I guess it's because goats have to go through bramble bushes or something. But, but it's tough, and it does not change shape very readily. So, so once you make the glove, it pretty much stays the same way that you have it. Uh, the only downside of both cowhide and goatskin is that it doesn't have a whole lot of insulation value to the material. Uh, so into that picture, then, we can drop other animal skins. Um, another one in this local area that I'm in, in Northwest, uh, is elk skin. So it turns out that elk hide is a really, really interesting material. Um, I mean, we should suspect it would be because elk have to stand out in a pasture in the wintertime, you know, foraging for food. Mm -hmm. So naturally, they would have a skin which would do something. One of the interesting features about elk skin is that it's almost as flexible as deer skin. Uh, however, even though it is flexible and therefore somewhat comfortable, it doesn't stretch if it gets wet. The other feature of elk skin that's really neat is that, that if you were to slice it apart, it's composed of of a lot of little cells, so it contains a lot of air spaces in between the fibers. And that provides an insulation. And, um, and of course, you can ruin this by trying to waterproof it. <laughs> if you, uh, go ahead, ask me how I know this. But you, So you take, you say, gee, these gloves are not waterproof. I'll, I'll smear some good grease waterproofing stuff on my gloves. And you do that, and your hands now freeze because you have destroyed the insulative quality. Mm. So... So uh, elk skin is good. Deer skin has been traditionally a very fine material. The unfortunate thing for this climate 
is that deer skin, when it soaks up water, loses its dimensional uh, stability. So it, you can take a deer skin glove, you know, soak it in water, and then stretch it out to about two feet long, you know, which, which means it's, if it's not going to hold its shape, it's not going to be very comfortable for riding in the rain, nor does it have the waterproofing uh, and insulative qualities that you really would like. So, uh, so we can go to other materials. Another a good rain riding glove actually is a skin diver's glove of neoprene. Yeah, it's made out of neoprene, so it's got insulation. It is, it is pretty durable stuff. You know, the neoprene is pretty tough, so so it has a reasonable amount of abrasion resistance and it's waterproof. So uh, what works for the skin divers exposing their hands to what's the temperature of the ocean up your way? Forty-eight degrees Fahrenheit. Something like that. Yeah, a little a little yeah. higher, I think. You know, and well, <laughs> not a whole lot. So, I was going to say 50. <laughs> okay, fine, 50. That's still pretty cold. And water will soak the heat right out of you. So, so again, all these things kind of go together. And um, I tried a variety of things. Now, if we go to wintertime riding, let's say that you have a desire to head for the coast and celebrate, um, you know, December 31 at the beach. Well, only trouble is around here at that time of year, um, it's snowing, <laughs> you know, and there's packed ice on the road and the temperature is below freezing. And uh, so what do you wear on your hands? Well, what I found is snowmobile gloves work fairly well. What a snowmobile glove is, is uh, at least in the good old days, it was a felt mitten. So it had, uh, it had no divided fingers. It had a thumb and a, an area for the fingers. And then this was inserted into kind of a nylon pouch just to give it some protection from dirt and debris. Uh, well, felt is a really good insulator, kind of like um, elk skin on steroids, except not as tough. So, yeah, if you fall down on ice, you won't have the same abrasion resistance. But on the other hand, you're not going to have a lot of abrasion when you're sliding on the ice. So, you know, we have different, um, uh, different purposes. We want to choose different gear. And I think the idea that one glove, you can buy one glove at the, at the shop, whether it's the hardware store or the motorcycle shop or, or online, uh, it's, it's probably not going to be comfortable in all situations. Now, you sort of alluded to trade-offs before, and, and that's really a big thing with everything that we, we do as far as uh, protective yeah. gear or anything for that matter. But, but when you're talking about gloves, I mean, you could make, a, as you said, very thick gloves, but then you couldn't ride with them. So there's always trade-offs. And when they make um, motorcycle gloves, they often have a pre-curve to the hand. They might have stitching and armor in places that they think that would be better for us as motorcyclists. And I, and I guess that's sort of one difference between that and some of the other gloves you're mentioning, like, you know, your, your work gloves or your diver gloves. Well, I think this is part of the, of the motorcycling religion is that, that we believe that somehow we're special and that if somebody builds something and calls it a motorcycle glove, that it's going to be better for motorcycling. Uh, it may be that it's better for their profit line because, because we're going to buy it because we think it's somehow superior and worth 300, 400, 500 bucks. Uh, but if, if you don't really, if you're not intending to slide on your knuckles, you don't need knuckle protection, you know? Now, mm -hmm. in fact, I have broken a wrist in a crash. Um, I overbraked and did an endo and landed on my hands, on the back of my hands, and it really mushed them up. 
And uh, you, you might think, well, gee, Dave, maybe if you'd been wearing some good motorcycle armored gloves, you wouldn't have broken your wrist. But when we dig into the science of how things get injured and, and impacts, we realize that, no, that, that doesn't work either because there wasn't a big abrasion situation. What was happening is the back of my hands were trying to stop the energy of my body, which was trying to jam itself into my arm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's why things break. It doesn't break because it doesn't have padding on the outside. It breaks because whatever you have on the outside, that's not where the forces are going. But you would have, you could have had some abrasion show up with the gloves that you're wearing that you may not have had if you had some armor on those gloves. Well, yeah, and I believe, I'm trying to think of what I was wearing. I was probably wearing my usual elk skin gloves, you know, and, and there was no abrasion because the stuff is very good against abrasion. Uh, but what I'm getting at is that, okay, I didn't have any external injuries. There was no blood in my hands. It was just that it smushed, you know, the impact, smushed my flesh and bones. And so... We, and if we're going to choose the right stuff, we need to be smart enough about what is likely to happen, really, and not kid ourselves into thinking that, that some sales hype on a, on a, uh, on a magazine ad um, really has anything to say to us of importance. You talked about, uh, for materials, deerskin, goat, elk. Um, what about textile? Textile prolific now as far as gloves go. There are some pretty good durable textiles, and I'm thinking that maybe the, you know, the skin divers gloves out of neoprene is probably a pretty tough textile. But I think textiles in general have never been as good as natural leathers, uh, animal skins. So in terms of uh, abrasion, for instance, for those racers on the track, they're pretty much required to wear heavyweight leather. And that's typically cowhide for them. But um, I think that, again, abrasion is probably a second um, question for us. What we really should be thinking is, what can I wear that's comfortable? So all of my gear needs to be so comfortable that I don't even think of it. If there's something, a jacket, collar that flaps or the helmet pinches your ears or, or your boots are too tight on your little toe or whatever, this will distract you and that could cause a crash. So I think with gloves, what we want are gloves that are very comfortable. We put them on. They're familiar. They fit right. They don't have any extra stuff hanging out. Uh, they're easy to use. I was thinking this morning, oh, would a motorcycle glove make a good tank driver's glove? You know, a military tank, right? Mm-hmm. Probably better <laughs> because for the tank driver than the motorcyclist because there's more heavy, sharp steel stuff inside a tank that you can hit your hand on. Hence you know, the so, armor on the back of the glove. Right. So the <laughs> armor on the back, your your knuckles might be very handy for that. But as a, you know, for the motorcyclist, I think that uh, when we call a glove a motorcycle glove, the the manufacturers and the marketers um, are thinking primarily of what what does the potential buyer think the glove should look like? And so we'll build it to look like that. Does it protect your hand? That's not the issue. The issue is can we sell a glove? What about um, when we're talking about using other gloves for as motorcycle gloves, in other words, work gloves or different things you've mentioned here? What about a wrist closure to keep the glove on? Because I've always thought that's a very important thing. I don't want that glove to roll off my hand in the event of a crash. Yeah, I've, um, I've had various gloves with various closures. And, and um, I think that if you come off the machine in such a way that you're dragging backwards, you know, let's say that you spin around and you're sliding 
uh, feet first down the road, um, it'll probably yank your gloves off. I don't care what kind of closure you have. You know what I mean? The forces there are significant, and, and they could drag anything off. So I think that a small buckle or something uh, in, in real-life situations probably would not be up to the task of absolutely holding that glove on your hand. But I do think that there's some other things about those closures and things that are important, and one of those is a gauntlet. So I think that, um, you know, again, if you don't want to get wind up your sleeve or rain up your sleeve or snow up your sleeve or dirt or whatever, you want to close off the gap between the glove and your jacket. And so it kind of depends what style you want. depends on whether you're going to ride with your hands up or down. So does the water and debris go down towards your glove or does it go from the glove up the jacket? So that will determine whether you want the gauntlet to be on the outside of your jacket or inside the sleeve. But I think that, that if you are closed in such a way that you have a gauntlet glove and it's stuck under your jacket sleeve and your jacket is on pretty well and you go for a slide, I think that will probably do more to keep the glove on than having a strap. What, what about fitting? Because fitting would come in there too. If your glove is too loose, obviously it's going to come off easier. If it's good and snug, it's going to stay on. Should we be getting a good snug glove? Well, I think the snugness of the glove is primarily a matter of, you know, the comfort and the and avoiding distraction rather than holding it on so much. So I think that that if the glove fits you well, you've accomplished all of the above. And this is where I'm talking about the differences in hand. What what you would call this, you know, the actual the configuration of your hand in terms of, of length to fatness or something that if you're in Thailand making a glove, you'll probably have long, skinny, piano-like fingers. You know, uh, if you're in Bulgaria, you might have big, fat hands like some of us have over here. So what you want is you want the glove, whatever it is, whatever brand, whatever style, you want it to fit your hand so that it's comfortable. Uh, you can you can get it on with a little bit of tugging, and then when it's on, it stays there, and there's no extra fabric poking out. Uh, you know, the end of the finger doesn't doesn't fold over on you because it's too long, that sort of thing. What about for the seasons? I mean, I don't think one glove is for any of us will work for all seasons. Well, what I gravitated to, interestingly enough, the, the, the Uckskin gauntlet gloves called Ropers that are sold through Aerostitch are actually manufactured at a little, a little glove factory in, I think it's Chehalis, Washington, not too far from us. Um, you know, and these are, these are designed for cowboys to use, you know, when they're out roping steers and that sort of thing. So they want abrasion resistance, good fit. They don't want the glove to come off, et cetera. A lot of the same things we're talking about. So what happens is if we wear that glove on a motorcycle and we run into a rainstorm and it's a reasonable temperature with elk skin, it gets wet and then it dries out and down the road you go. You know, you don't lose the insulative quality of it so your hands stay reasonably warm. Now what happens if the temperature drops and we're heading up over a mountain pass somewhere, you know, and wearing those gloves. Well, your hands are going to get cold and that's going to distract you. And the chances are it will contribute to a crash. You know, I'm not saying it will always cause a crash, but what I'm saying is it's not going to help you to have an uncomfortably cold hand and getting hypothermic. So there we need some sort of insulation and um, there are various kind of glove covers that we can put on to add insulation, both waterproofing and just, just insulated. And uh, so we can also carry another pair of gloves, but frankly, there's only so much insulation you could put into a glove and still be able to move your fingers. So 
Um, what, what really works in those circumstances is if you need a cold weather glove is to look for something like the, the three-fingered glove. Um, you know, you have a thumb, uh, first finger, and then all three are in the next pocket. So you have a three-fingered glove, and that keeps the fingers together, the outer fingers, and helps them to kind of warm each other. So there are gloves for wintertime use that can provide uh, insulation, which is what we're primarily about. So insulation and wind protection. Um, they may or may not be waterproof, but as the temperature drops, waterproofing is a secondary issue. You mentioned cowboys. It's funny. You never hear cowboys talk about crash protection. <laughs> well, you know. So, but they should. <laughs> well, I think they're smarter than we are in a lot of ways because the cowboy gets on the horse and goes out there and the horse throws him off when he hits the ground and gets up and, you know, spits his snooze out and gets back on and rides. Uh, and he understands fully about the, you know, the impact forces and what was going on there. Um, I don't think he's under any delusions that horses will not throw you or that if you just wore the right kind of cowboy hat that, that you wouldn't get hurt. You know? So um, I think that um, motorcycling is a lot like a motorized cowboy in a way. We have our bodies out in the elements and that sort of thing. But I think that you know, what the cowboy is about is practicality, that everything is focused on what works and uh, – and he knows what works, and sometimes it's hard work making things happen, but uh, the reason that he has elk skin ropers, you know, that he might want to have elk skin ropers is because if you're grabbing on to uh, an abrasive line and it's running through the palm of your hand, <laughs> you're going to find out real fast if, if that glove is uh, abrasion resistant or not. And it's much better to have the glove uh, being heated up than your palm. So just to sort of go back again to what you're saying, because I, I think this point really needs to be made here about thinking that these uh, any sort of glove is going to be the ultimate protection. What we have to be considering is the fact that this is going to offer us minimal protection. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, th I think um, if we want to get the big picture here, just as a reminder to people, motorcycling is extremely dangerous, a lot more dangerous than we ever had realized before about three or four years ago, you know, when we began to be able to measure it. And there's not a whole lot you can do to make it less dangerous. Now, we have this religion in motorcycling that says, oh, yes, we can, that if we just say the right mantras and we sprinkle the right holy water, that we can be perfectly safe. Um, it's a wishful thinking, but it's not very realistic. And so I think that in terms of gear, uh, we have this dream that if we just put the right gear on, that nothing will go wrong. And, um, you know, just like that airplane announcement on the plane flying to Hawaii, you know, uh, attention passengers, you know, this flight has been totally automated. Uh, it's being operated by an autopilot, and because everything is automatic, nothing can go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But, but we, have that, we have that dream that somehow we can make life without risk. This is what the cowboy understands is, no, no, it's always dangerous. If you let the bull gore you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I, I think that, you know, when we're talking about motorcycling, I think we have to realize that, that our protective gear may make us more comfortable, but also can contribute to making other errors. For instance... How fast will your F-800 go if you wind it out wide open? 
Oh, I don't know. I think it's like clocked at 235 or something like that kilometers. Yeah, yeah. So so it's capable of going that fast. Now, here's my question. Would you ride that fast without a helmet or gloves or a jacket? No. Why not? Because it would give your, you're probably asked the wrong person, but because it would give me some sort of minimal protection in the event of a get off. And well, uh, more to the point is that when you get a wind blast in your face, you know, at, at 200 kilometers per hour, it sucks your head off, it, it gets in your eyes. I it, see what you're you saying. Know, it right. fills your mouth up. You know, you can't breathe. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues. So when we put our protective gear on, now we can go that fast and still be reasonably comfortable. And so the gear may contribute to us going faster than we would normally, than we would do without the gear. Okay. So what I'm saying is that the gear may cause us to have um, a situation, you know, simply because it is protecting us from any kind of indications that this is bad stuff out there. So sort of a false sense of security. False sense of security, yeah, yeah. So that that's in there, and we don't want to think about that because because it's um, uh, it runs against our motorcycling religion to think that that gear is not always going to help under all circumstances. So that's uh, that's the tough love in this in this picture is that that uh, um, gear needs to be practical. I think, and I think you should select gear, especially gloves, for comfort. Um, if your glove is annoying you in some way, you know, let's say there's a seam on your uh, third little finger that pushes against the side of the flesh and, and it's irritating you. That's going to distract your thoughts from the road ahead to your finger. So it would be helpful, I think, then to eliminate that distraction, to cure it, whatever you got to do. Throw the gloves away and buy new gloves, uh, turn the gloves inside out and, you know, throw it run through your sewing machine, you know, whatever you got to do. So uh, I think here is one of the issues of back to your question of, so what's wrong with the hardware glove? Well, if the hardware store glove is built very well out of very good material, it's probably as good as anything. When they did the, uh, they did some evaluation of gear at, um, I think it was Australia, looking at what had happened to people, and it turns out that any kind of sturdy leather boot is better than a, than a fabric sneaker or street shoe, any kind. It doesn't have to be motorcycle-specific. And so I think that's the, that's the trick is to look at your gear, and if you're going to buy gloves, buy gloves where you can pull on the seams and they don't come apart, you know. Um, the, the material is something that, that you can trust. Now, up here, we don't get kangaroo gloves, but I understand that those are pretty nice, you know. So I think we have to choose from, uh, from the choices that we have available uh, wherever we're shopping for gloves. But I, I wouldn't be bothered with, um, you know, avoiding the hardware store glove um, if it provides the features that you need. Unfortunately, a lot of gloves in the hardware store don't have good motorcycling features. That is to say, maybe they have a fabric back which, which uh, is designed to breathe so that if you're working, carrying lumber around, it'll protect you from splinters, but it won't protect you from getting wet. Well, that might not be ideal for motorcycling.
And I've been speaking with David Hoff. You can find David's books basically anywhere you can find books. And I would definitely look up his uh, book called Proficient Motorcycling. Of course, we'll have links in our show notes. Coming up, we're going to take a look at Green Chili Adventure Gear's Z-Drag system, and you get to find out what was in that bag. You're going to take a two-minute break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Well, we're real proud of having IMS products as a sponsor for this show. I, I see a lot of stuff from them online, continually posting about um, different racing they're involved with, the series they sponsor and things like that. It's, it's very cool. And it, and it sort of gives you an insight into um, what the company's all about. Like I've told you before, it's been around since 1976 and it was founded by racers, still run by racers or ex-racers um, who are really dedicated to the sport and what they do. And they make a, a complete line of adventure pegs for us riders. I have um, numerous uh, people who have emailed me in the in the past week or so saying that they've got uh, IMS pegs because of what they've heard on here. And um, it sounds like everybody's ecstatic about them, as I am with mine. If you haven't seen them, you've got to drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. Find out what all the fuss is about. Try out their adventure pegs. Um, they're not only slick looking, but they're even better performing. www.imsproducts. And of course, anytime you deal with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. So you probably planned your summer by now. I assume you have. You've got your your travel plans or any, any sort of weekend adventures, anything you're going to do for the summer already done. But have you thought about the fall? Because you want to mark your calendars for these dates. November 9 to 11, that's Overland Expo East in Asheville, North Carolina. It's being held at the Rebranch. And um, they've got camping and shuttle services, and it's it's Overland Expo. You got to go there, <laughs> you know. And if you've been to the the West one, well, you got to go to the East. If you haven't been to the West one, you absolutely cannot miss uh, Overland Expo East. It's your opportunity to to mingle with everybody Overland, and that's four wheel, two wheel, the whole bit. Um, this is a jam packed show that you cannot miss uh, for motorcycle and uh, vehicle Overlanders. Remember, when you buy your tickets, you've got to get them online. So you go to www.overland expo.com and forward slash east will get you to the the east program but if you just go to www.overlandexpo.com of course that's going to take you to their website and also if you're interested in being a presenter or an exhibitor at the show and you should definitely look at this and there's a lot of people go to these shows uh, there's only the two shows each year and this is the second one um, this this coming one for November 11 or sorry 9 to 11 anyway drop by their website as well to find out more information about that again www.overlandexpo.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, don't forget to throw in our name so they know that it's working for them. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, if you've ever been stuck, you know, or, or in a situation maybe where you've dropped your bike and it's sort of laying not really upside down, but maybe sort of downhill in a difficult spot to pick up, or, or even if you can't relate to that, if you've ever been stuck in your vehicle, you know the feeling, that distressed feeling of how on earth am I going to get out of here? And it's even worse when you're off the main road, because on the road, of course, you can always call a tow truck. But as soon as you go off road or back in the back country somewhere, you can be really stuck. Well, that's where you'll probably want to have some sort of system like 
the Z-Drag system. And there's various ones out there. There's some in rope. But Green Chili Adventure Gear has one made of strap. And there's some unique things about this system that I think is really worth you looking at. They sent me uh, one of their systems up and I got a chance to try it out. And well, here's Adam from Green Chili. Hey, this is Adam Owens with Green Chili Adventure Gear, and we make hardcore motorcycle luggage. Adam, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be here. So your Z-Drag system, is, and, and you know, it's interesting because um, talking about, we're, we're going to talk about pulling motorcycles. I just found out recently, Warren had a winch out for a while there that was uh, made for motorcycles. We covered it here on the show. They don't make it anymore. <laughs> so if you want to pull your bike, you're going to have to use a Z-Drag system. That's what we're going to talk about today. Just describe your Z-Drag system that you make at Green Chili. Uh, well, we built a system that gives you a five to one pull reduction. Um, we wanted to keep it small and compact, but we, I, it all came from when I was trying to put my own Z-Drag together and I was looking at all the knots and the rope work and I was just like, I'm going to spend an hour trying to get this thing set up and taken back down. I just want something I can pull out of a bag and use, you know? And so that's kind of when we set out developing this product, that was our main goal was to have a Z-Drag, which is a you know, a standard common rope rig, but built into a system that was compact and ready to go when we pulled it out and easy to put back up. And uh, I think we hit it. <laughs> Z-drag, Z-drag, same thing, different place. Um, I'm going to try and call right. it, I'm going to try and call it a Z-drag so you can follow along. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what really shocked me with yours was when I pulled it out was that it was all assembled. I guess for some reason I just didn't think about it. So when you sent it to me and I pulled it, I went, this is dead easy because you just open up the bag and pull it out. Cause normally with a, anyone who's used a, a Z drag system, you usually have to assemble it. You know, you've, you've got your, your small bits of rope and you've got your pulleys and stuff and you have to put the whole thing together. That's part of using a Z drag system. But the downside is, is knowing how it works. I mean, if you don't work with it all the time, you've actually got to think it through and follow the instructions. Yes, not, if you don't do it all the time or you or you haven't practiced it, like, and uh, let's be honest, you're going to buy it and stick it in your bag and you're never going to use it till you need it. You're going to be in the middle of nowhere, stuck in the mud, trying to read the instructions to tie the knots, right? Yeah. And it's just going to add frustration to the whole situation. And I knew that's exactly what I would do. And if I do it, I'm sure there's other riders that do it as well. <laughs> Sweating, swatting mosquitoes the, and, and frustrated because your bike's upside down or stuck somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I thought it wasn't going to be like it was a fixed length because when you open it up, it only goes out so far, which is quite a distance. Uh, do, how far is it? Does it pull out to automatically? It's got um, it's 25 yards of main line. So that's about 75 feet. Right. Um, but, you know, it has to triple back. So it's maybe was that about 25 feet when it comes out of the bag. Mm -hmm. But then you can adjust your cams on either side to create that length you need. Yeah, that that's what I found interesting because I was thinking it was just 25 feet. I thought, okay, well, so maybe you have to run another rope or something. And then I realized, oh, no, you can adjust it. You can loosen it up. 
and run it out much further. So it is the full thing. It's it's your full length. You're not going to need any more length in most cases for pulling or anything. Just for those who don't know a Z-drag system, what's unique about a Z-drag system? Why? I mean, you mentioned the five to one pull ratio. So that's so, you know, you pull one pound of pull of you putting one pound of pull on, you get five pounds of pull out of the system. What else is good about it? I mean, that's really the main thing. It's to, it's to reduce your effort. You know, so if you're out riding in the woods, you're probably already tired and that's why you fail. So, you know, to reduce that effort, it saves your energy. It's quicker to get back out. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy every time, though. I mean, we've helped guys get pulled out of swamp mud that was buried up to his, his brake rotors. You know, that mud makes suction. But without that Z-drag pulling on it, it I mean, I don't know what we'd have done. <laughs> we had to break that suction and the Z-drag would pull it kind of up. See, and something like that, we were actually tying on the anchor side we were tying as high as we could reach up on a tree and then we were pulling it was actually pulling it not only forward but up out of the mud so you can you can kind of get those work those angles a little bit as opposed to if just you and a buddy were pulling on a rope or something yeah you posted those pictures on facebook is that the one you're talking about yeah that's the one yeah i saw it no I, i was referring to the cams the the locking cams on it oh yeah so some of the cams are like our standard gear that we use. So normally a Z-drag is, is built with pulleys. Like if you were going to build it with rope, you would use like climbing pulleys with it. With ours, because we're building it out of webbing and trying to keep it affordable, because when you start getting into the climbing gear, it really adds a lot of cost to the build. And honestly, it's overrated for what we often need for motorcycle purposes. So we started looking around for options, and that was really one of our first uh, – big obstacles to this was to find a solution for that so we found roller cams and what we do we for most of them we modify the locking tab on it so that the roller cam is used as a pulley and that's how we kept a low profile affordable pulley system that worked with one inch webbing as opposed to say a three eighths inch rope oh i see okay I, I see what you're doing so you take off the locking mechanism and use the roller itself yeah. Yeah. And one of the cams is locking though, because with the Z drag system, that's that's one of the beauties of it. Even if you use the other style, you use a Prusik knot in the other style, but this this is very simple, it's automatic, is that when you pull the bike up a distance, if it wants to slide back, when you let go, it's automatically locked in place. Correct. Yep. So on a traditional rope and pulley system, that would be your Prusik knots to capture your progress. And um on this, on ours, what we did was use that, that locking cam. So as you pull it through, the cam captures your progress. And so what, what kind of weight can we handle with this? We rate it at 1,000 pounds. Um, that should be very suitable for motorcycles. It's not going to break at 1,000 pounds pull, but that's the working load that we rate it at. Is that a stuck weight, or is that the weight of the bike that you're pulling? That's, that would be the amount of pull at the end right so so the the point where all where the the point where it would fail would be the cam that locks onto the main line close to the recovery object side the one that you move to make slack um at about somewhere between like 1500 to 2000 pounds of pull there that cam is going to start to cut through the webbing so, and that doesn't mean it's going to fail right then, but that's what's going to start happening. That's the weak spot of the whole system. And when I say weak spot, it's still like, you know, 1,000-pound load rating is pretty good for any motorcycle purposes, or ATVs really for that matter. Yeah. 
And and honestly, even big bikes, we're not trying to lift them off the ground at full weight. The bike usually supports its own weight as well. We're just talking about, you know, pulling pressure, not hanging it up in a tree kind of pressure. Yeah. And you're also powering out. I mean, obviously, in most cases, in most cases, you're not going to, for instance, what you had there, you're not going to just try and push the bike out without the bike running and in gear. Right. Yeah. Now, you can, you can set it up for a self-recovery. It's um, self-recovery is tougher than if you have friends to help because you know, obviously you're splitting your efforts, you know, um, you kind of, and it's slower. So basically when you're, if you're pulling for yourself, you're kind of standing beside the bike, balancing it and you pull a little bit and you walk forward with it and you pull a little bit and you walk forward with it. Um, it takes a little more effort to do it by yourself, but at least you can do it by yourself. You know, if you're, something happens and you're all alone. Yeah, it takes a little bit more work also because you're holding the bike up. Right, yeah. Yeah, you're, try, you're trying to, to hold the bike in position. But the, the advantage is this is a small package. What, what does it weigh? I think it's about three pounds or so. Yeah, so it's, it's very lightweight. It's a, it's a one-handed thing and uh, throw it in there. How about, how about double use? Do you, do you have any um, options for, for another use for it? Because, you know, everybody with motorcycles wants to have something that, you know, has more than one use. Oh, yeah, adventure gear unless it does more than one thing, right? Right. So um, you could string it up between two trees, let's say a ridge line for a tarp. Um, that would be a good use. You might could hang a bear bag with it, something like that. Anything you use a piece of rope for, you really could use a Z-drag for because it has the length. Um, another thing, the bag is actually kind of multi-purpose as well. So on the recovery object side, if you know if you're worried about any scratches or anything, you can actually use the bag to protect finishes where the strap comes across mm. or let, let's say you're riding in the desert and there aren't any trees and the boulders are too big to get around right you can actually fill that bag with dirt and rocks run the strap through those loops or run your z-drag strap through the loops on the bag dig a hole and bury that bag and that's called a dead man anchor so you're actually using the earth as your anchor to pull your recovery object so yeah. That's the reason we built the bag a little more substantial, not just like a nylon, kind of a lightweight sealed nylon bag. We built it a little heavier so you could use it for dead man anchor purposes where you could help pull that out if there weren't any trees. I love that. And you can also, you could, you could put a stick across or anything, you know, big rock. You could do a bunch of things for, for bearing it. And the whole thing, as you say, is very robust. You also have straps of soda on the outside and it, it's Molly, isn't it? The, the Molly system. Yeah, it's the spacing is Molly compliant. So it's right. not you know, Molly is the whole panel of straps, but we've we've basically sewn it so that those spacings will work with Molly systems. And um the idea is like well, my Florida example, when we were pulling the guy out of a swamp, that thing was filthy when we got done because it's been down in all that swamp mud, it stunk. So I, I stuffed it all back in the bag and I did not put it back inside my dry bag where it traveled first. I strapped it on the outside. <laughs> that way it didn't get all my other gear smelly and nasty right but what i was thinking is it's good because what i've been doing is i've been using actually your straps to strap it on the back of the bike and then i know it's not going to fall off because you know when you put your strap over a bag i don't do it with any bags i don't ever just put something over a bag maybe if i pick up a box in the post office but otherwise i always try and put it through a strap but with this thing you can put it right through the these straps that as you say are sewn in the with the molly spacing and uh, you know there's no chance of it coming off yeah, definitely. His captured at that point. Yeah. 
The other thing I was going to mention is um, you also include the um, the carabiners with it. Correct. Yep. On our website, we show those steel hooks, and that's how we originally built it. And I probably need to update my photography, but now they come with um, climbing carabiners. So they're they're lightweight, but they're very sturdy. They're uh, Cypher brand carabiners, typically. So obviously, like any product, it comes with instructions. Yours happens to be a, a card. Yep, correct. And we basically everything on the Z-Drag is color-coded. And the card references the color codes. It's laminated, and you just store it in the bag. So when you pull it out, it's, I mean, I tried to write it so that anybody could use it, having never used it ever before. And the color codes really help a lot with that. And these things are available in green? Do they come in any other color? No, we use the high-vis green because it's a safety item. So we figured the high-vis would be helpful, and we picked green because it's, you know, green chili. Right on. (laughs) That's what I figured it was. (laughs) It was green for green chili. Anything else we should know about the system? I think that pretty well covers it. It's, It's a really nice thing to have on the bike, especially if you're going out by yourself. Um, when we were designing it, I, I kind of felt like, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I'll carry that all the time, but the more we started riding, the more technical we tended to get and the more likely we were to end up stuck somewhere. And I know you've been stuck too. It's always going to happen late in the afternoon when you're already (laughs) with, right? (laughs) And so anything anything to conserve that energy to get you home. You know, we talk a lot about rider skills and conserving energy when you're working with your bike. Let your bike do the work. This is just another tool to do the work for you. And with the the bikes being so heavy, I mean, we all know what it's like to pick up our adventure bikes. But when you're by yourself, like one of the things that can happen that I've seen several times now, um, where you end up losing it with a bike and it falls over and it falls over sort of upside down in a rocky section. And we always talk about, you know, those ideal situations where, oh, all you have to do is, you know, you grab your handlebar and you lift it up and you, and you sort of drag the bike around. Well, in a lot of situations, especially if you're into rocky stuff, you can't drag the bike around. You literally have to stand it up where it is and it can be really difficult. And this is where I've hooked uh, your system up and stood the bike up using your system by myself. That's all I needed. You know, I did, I wasn't stuck. It was just that the bike was actually upside down or not quite upside down, but, you know, weighted downhill and, or it was actually down into a a washout that's full of rocks and I can't slide the bike around. Yeah. And when those handlebars are headed downhill, man, like you said, it is not as easy as just backing up to it and lifting it. You're, you're picking the whole weight of the bike up at that point. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So what's the, uh, the fascination with the strapping, Adam? <laughs> you, you guys have got a whole business on strapping. Yeah, well, it, it was all kind of born out of frustration. Um, we were, well, me and Ben, when we started the business, we were just tired of breaking stuff. And it was always the attachment system that broke, you know, and, and motorcycle-specific dry bags are expensive. We both had other hobbies where we had a closet full of dry bags, but we couldn't use them as motorcycle dry bags. So we wanted to make a way to use any bag. And uh, that's, that's kind of what drove our very first product, which was that Uprising Soft Track. And um, we just we made a way to put attachment points on a bike, and then we made strap kits that worked with whatever dry bag you wanted. And we build everything. I mean, it, honestly, it's, it's probably a little bit overbuilt, but we're trying to build something that will not fail you while you're riding. 
Because that, I mean, depending on where you're riding or what you're doing, your life may depend on what fell off your bike, right? It could be your water, your food, your shelter. Just depends on where you are and what you're doing. And it seems like a silly reason to risk your life on gear that can fail. (laughs) When it's, it's really fairly affordable to get gear that's built heavy and not built to a price point. So that was, that's kind of one of our, our major design criteria is to build something that will not fail. And I'm, I'm not trying to, to make an ad for you. You're already a sponsor of the show, but I was just going to say that that's why you do the straps the way you do them because um, with the straps the, that I have on my bike of yours, it's got the stretchy part and then it's got the tube over top of it. That's one of those things that, so you can't break it. So you can stretch these straps until the uh, elastic band is at its maximum. And even if it breaks, it still has that webbing, that climbing webbing tube over top of it that makes the whole thing secure. Yeah, correct. And really with our straps, pulling those things all the way tight is the best idea because that gives you the most, you know, dry bags leak air and get smaller, right? Or gear can shift. Pulling those things all the way tight gives you the most travel to come back down and and keep it tight as things move and shift. Well, Adam, thank you very much. I think it's a great Z-Drag system. I just love the way you pull it out of the bag and it's ready to go. I mean, I think that's just killer. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. That was Adam Owens from the home of Green Chili Adventure Gear. How do you find them? Well, of course, you just listen to the start of the show because they're a show sponsor. That link will be in our show notes. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth, who um, is on the road with me. I mean, we're on the road together. The whole show is on the road. We've got the show on the road, so to speak, (laughs) and we're actually mobile for the summer. Anyway, drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com to check out all of our episodes there. You can download them for free. We also have our other show, Raw, that we do once a month, and uh, I think the June episode just came out like two weeks ago, something like that. Drop by and and check that out. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help out, we would love to have your support. Um, Drop by the website, click on the support button. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on Raw. And of course, we have Patreon set up if you're interested in helping us monthly. Otherwise, it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Time to get out there and ride. See you next week. Hi, I'm Ben King, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 